Welcome, Pathfolk, to After Party 42. The answer to everything. For our mummy's Life, mask. Life, the universe, and everything. <laughs> yes. For our mummy's mask actual play, we are Find the Path. And I've done this in a very strange way, and now I feel awkward. Too late. I was just watching you. Yeah, we. I know <laughs> everyone's looking at me. Train wreck um, is just happening, and we're just sitting here grinning. I should have minimized y'all's hey, window. Sometimes my intros are messes too. It's fine. The path folk don't care. Yeah, this is for episode twenty-four to twenty-six of Mummy's Mask. Uh, one let's twenty-four, 24 <laughs> through one twenty-six. We're going to show way myself back out. For this one. I'll show myself out. <laughs> so the party has reached, has found the scorched hand and the fight's beginning. <laughs> We're going back in time, way back. Join us in the way back machine. My, my goodness. All right. Well, this is the, this is the after party of Mummy's Mask for episodes 124 to 126. There you go. We're not doing any reduce. Just keep going. <laughs> I'm not editing and, this out. Uh, Let's start with a little recap, and I'm not doing it because obviously I don't know what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) All right, who's volunteering? All right, Rick, what happened? Well, let's see. I believe. (laughs) (laughs) I believe uh, 124 started out with an explosion. Yeah. Which was uh, you guys getting blasted. It was then followed by another quickened explosion, and then Mm -hmm. a steady stream of explosions happened there. Yeah, she had a lot. Was that and a, she used she a whole a, necklace? Did she have a necklace? I think it's an afraid ability to cast yeah. fireball three times a day. She cast it a lot of times, though. The lady in question, whose name you never got. What's her name? Like, she didn't want to talk to us. She just wanted to tell us to leave. Which is funny because I'm going to say it's exactly who, who they were looking for. <laughs> it's K I X E X A. You know she's bad because she has two X's in her name. Good gracious! Oh man, double X's. Uh, but she's actually a noble Afrit instead of just a standard Afrit. Oh, yeah. so she's extra fancy. Which means that she gets some extra spell like abilities and everything else. And uh, a common feat for monsters, unfortunately, players can't take this because otherwise it'd be overpowered as crap, is the quicken spell like ability. Well, actually, if you're uh-huh. a player and you have a spell like ability, you can take that feat too. And so she has quicken spell like ability for Scorching Ray and Fireball. Yep. Uh-huh. And so she's able to Fireball three times per day as a quicken spell like ability. And Scorching Ray three times per day is a quick and spell ability. That didn't come into play. Hmm. Gracious. Because the room was so small and there was a giant cat. There <laughs> was a giant cat. That was brilliant. So you did have a greater invisibility once per day. That's one of those things as a wizard where it's like, Ugh, why didn't I prepare C invisibility? Ugh, why didn't I prepare <laughs> this other thing? At least when you're spontaneous, you can only cast what you can cast. But the fire resistance saved. <laughs> yeah, that was clutch. Once again, yes. Yeah, except for Rahi, who... Once she got the fire resistance, that was great. But up until that point, she was taking a beating. Yeah. Yeah. But thankfully, I have that as one of my school spells, and it just hangs out in that second level slot or whatever. Even without the fire resistance, I think uh, Sudi and Citro, I don't think either of them failed to save. We didn't take any damage. No. Actually, yeah. Wait, yeah, I don't think I took any damage from the fireballs. Nice. Which is weird, because I took up half that room. <laughs> but yeah, she has some neat abilities. One of those I didn't even get to use, which was... Uh, Pyroclastic Storm, which is basically Ice Storm, but with fire. Uh, she registered that you guys had fire resistance, was like, eh. It does some bludgeoning damage, too. But registered? Yeah. What do you mean? I just you guys basically weren't. told them. Well, yeah. She was a noble, and apparently Hollis has problems with noble, monstrous creatures. Seriously, yes. <laughs> That's definitely a theme to this book. It's fighting noble snarky. creatures and sassing noble creatures. I just felt sassy. I don't know. She did sass the Hatia, too, before she... No. You know. Oh, yeah, I did sass her. A little you bit, did yeah, sass her. Sass. 
You did, I did sass break an arrow in her alpha, face. So didn't sass her. I only sass people when they provoke me by being maybe trying to kill me, although that was obviously wrong, or you know, trying to kill me with fireball. I don't know. Hollis is sassy yeah. sometimes. They also or get spicy. a once per day uh, permanent image, which is how she changed the Made appearance the of the room to make it more ah, comfortable for her. That makes sense. That was okay. really cool, actually. Like, I did she prepare it as like just making herself more comfortable, or was it actually to try to mess with us? Nope, she just wanted to look like home. Uh, <laughs> and then Masika used the the effigy of Anubis, and we were like, oh, "What's all this uh, about?" And then all those questions were immediately answered in the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. That's true. Yep. Although I there still, was that whole, uh, I still think it's funny that she's like, "Y'all need to leave," and it's like, "Wait, no, this is Sudi. This is the bait. The bait is working." <laughs> Weird. She didn't really know exactly working. what the plan was. <laughs> <laughs> and also, whenever she was doing that, that was when like Hollis was rushing into the room. Yeah. She's like, "I don't know who the heck this is." <laughs> and then a cat folk walks in, and she's like, "No, you can stay." I need yeah, this I, one. I need this one. True. I really wanted <laughs> my call, call to do a thing, and she had to be in the one square. I know. Actually, yeah. I, think so there, I think there were maybe three squares in that room that it wouldn't have hit. But yeah, yeah that two, was she was in one squares. of those. So oh, unlucky. Man. But you never really get to cast that spell because it's such a big cone, and your allies are always there. And I don't have like I don't have that meta magic feat that lets you uh, like selective create so, pockets. So, yeah. yeah, you should yeah. probably invest in that. And then we split the party. Yeah, you found some cat folk. You uh, the party split up with uh, half of the party going downstairs while the other half of the party stayed up. I'm I'm curious. Did you guys just assume that you had finished clearing the place? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Okay. When Rahi said that the temple was hidden, I was like, okay, maybe they're just using this place because it was a structure in the middle of the desert, and they have no idea that there's a temple yeah. to Sekhmet. Yeah. Although it was so stupid because Rick did that thing where he tried to get Normer to go. Uh huh. Uh, and we were like, nah. Well, you were like, nah. And then we got down there and we found it, and it was literally propped open. That should have been. Should have been See, a I didn't big catch red that. Flag. I caught it, but I was like, I didn't catch oh, okay. that it was propped open. Yeah, he specifically yeah. said it was propped open. It was definitely propped open propped by a open. piece of wood. Uh huh. That's why it was so yeah. easy to find because you didn't roll great on that check either. Remember? Yeah, it was only a DC 15 to find it, and that's only because there's a crate in the way. <laughs> So it's one of those like, oh no, all the pieces have added up. We've done bad calculations here and we are now going to pay. <laughs> I, I felt a little dumb when I got down there too because I was like, oh, this is a shrine of Sekhmet. So when the voice started, I was like, oh, Sekhmet's talking to us. I like we're going to divine intervention here too. and everything. And then I was, and that's why like, it was just a well-timed, well. That was <laughs> such a funny situation because uh, Rick said her name and uh -huh. you reacted with awe. <laughs> but I had already been like, I didn't know the name, obviously. I didn't remember the name from like earlier that episode. But I was like, I oh no, the walls are talking to us. Oh no, a lady's going to come out of them. Oh no, that's going to be that lady from Faded Tales. So we had different reactions to the same. <laughs> yeah. Our, the I didn't connect of Faded that it Tales. Was yeah, I didn't connect to it to us. Faded Tales right away. I've been waiting well, for I, that lady I, I didn't for a long time. Because like it, it was such a bad trap for Sudi, because Sudi doesn't follow Sekhmet. Sudi, I mean, cares about catfolk just because it cares about people in general. We but didn't it's know like one of those like task failed successfully things where like she did all the wrong things, but it still worked out just because I happened to stumble upon it. Yeah, well she doesn't know she probably didn't know a lot about you and just assumed yeah. that. Yeah. As a cat folk, well, you follow Sekhmet, duh. And as you know, you're going to come investigate. Your duty is to protect, protect the 
other or, cat folk. So you're going to come looking for missing cat folk. Her plan was solid if it hadn't been like Sudi, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if I wasn't me, it would have been a great plan. True. So, so then yeah. we spent an entire episode getting our asses handed to us by her. To be My fair. My chicken got hit. Pretty much yeah, from the beginning sure. of that, it was uh, that episode began with the combat and then ended with the final blow. That was one of our longer episodes, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a it was a knockdown drag out fight for you guys. It, was a it would have fight. been a hundred times worse, though, if we were actually all down there because mm-hmm. she would have been shoving us into walls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that could have been yeah. a lot worse than it actually ended up being because we fought her on the surface. So what well, you're saying is that splitting the party actually ended up being yes, a good it actually thing. Yeah. Really? Actually yes, beneficial. it did work out better. It ended up being very weird. And then all of the attack spells Masika had left were lightning based. So and that was sad because she didn't memorize think, any of her fire ones yeah. because the Efreet. So Masika was like, "I'm gonna heal," and then since she's not a cleric and can't convert, well, I'm out of that. Uh, sorry. I'm gonna go take <laughs> <Yeah>. a swim. <laughs> We're going to run some laps. <laughs> There were a couple things with that fight because that that fight required everyone to do a lot of things that they don't normally do. Party was split. Citra trying to dig through a wall. Hollis sending her chicken to go warn people. Which was very successful and probably the only reason we didn't really get our butts handed to us. I know, my poor baby chicken. There were a couple of times that I had to, you know, because every once in a while I'm looking at this, I'm looking at it as a game. Where I'm looking at the screen. Well, I'm looking at the screen. (laughs) I'm looking at the five foot squares. I'm thinking, you know, my... XCOM brain kicks in where I'm just like, uh-huh, what is the yeah. best tactics to possibly win this situation? And this is one of those encounters where I really had to think about the character that you were fighting. Mm. Because the moment I put up that first stone wall, I kind of thought, mm, she could just let the chicken go, knowing Sudi's going to come down here and fight her. Put up another two stone walls to block the door and the way down here to basically isolate Citra and Hollis entirely where they'd have to get through three stone walls, drink her healing potion to heal up the damage that she's taken. She had three potions of cure serious wounds, Mm. slide up through the floor, then take on Sudi, maybe, maybe taking some time to get Masika and shove her into a wall to take her out of the fight and then have a one-on-one fight with Sudi. And then even when it was like, she steps outside when you guys were fighting her and she stepped through the wall because of Citra, I was like, she could stop and go ahead and drink those two healing potions while the party's trying to figure out a way to get over the wall to her. Mm. But at the same time, it's Sudi failed against that first style attack that she did, which is the uh, scorpion style, which reduces your movement, movement speed. speed substantially. And it was the last round of that. And her follow-up style only works after scorpion style, which is... Uh, mm. Yeah, what was, what was that other style? <laughs> so it's a strike called Gorgon's Fist. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and it requires that you hit someone with scorpion style, and then if the attack hits, you deal damage normally, and the target is staggered until the end of your next turn. At which point, the on her next turn, while you're staggered, she could hit you with scorpion style again and then slam you with gorgon style. Yeah, and just have me basically stuck. Yeah, and as long as the scorpion style's in effect, you can actually use gorgon style every round to yeah. just make them staggered nonstop. Yeah, which would have really cut down my damage potential. And so she has a very interesting, like, fighting style. She has a very interesting, it's all about just getting one hit in and then forcing people to make fortitude saves. Which, thankfully, I don't have any bad saves because of how I've kind of built myself, so... You know, yeah. I, I have a fairly good thing if I could roll. You know, mm. the problem is I just, eventually the rolls catch up with me and I'm going to fail the rolls. I know it. Yeah. That glitter dust sucked up two different dispel magics and still kept yep. going. Uh, dude, that, she still yeah, had a third glitter dust was, left. Yeah, her, 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 the glitter dust was very effective. Yeah. I have to say, 
I think my favorite part of that whole fight mechanically was going like I had a moment where I was like, okay, I can dispel her stone skin or I can move Citra. And I moved Citra and Citra got to dispel the stone skin. So it like totally was like a baller chess move. Like both things yep. got to yeah. happen in the same turn. Very fun. It was something that we actually we overlooked. I mentioned to Rachel to add it to her character sheet so that it kind of pops up every single time. Is in addition to the debilitation, Citrus sneak attacks dispel magic every single every time. time she attacks, whether or not she yeah. knows that there's I a spell on them. I didn't realize oh, that. I wow. thought I had to declare it. Yeah. Oh. So okay. no, it's just every sing- every single time she sneak attacks, she dispels the lowest spell on the person. Rad. Nice. That's really It cool. also reinforces how deadly a rogue is if they can get multiple sneak attacks in a round because, mm-hmm. God, she does like, so much damage. Get rid of that magic and get rid of that magic and get rid of that magic. Oh, well, you can't hit me for sneak attack. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous amounts of damage included. Yeah, that's and why I was like, I need to get you yeah. right next to her so that you can get a full round attack because you having yeah. to run over there was going to suck up yeah. damage, essentially. Like and I was well, like, yeah, I it, was gonna it was also going to take, take two turns rounds. for her to get there. Yeah. Well, yeah. and that's why I tried to use the hydraulic push with Masika, because if I can knock her back from Sudi, she's going to have to move to hit him again yeah. and won't get a full round attack. Well, the, the problem also with me is that Sudi was not going to just let her be there. He was going to go after her. So, because yeah. Sudi kind of went into that fight with the assumption that sugar is flying free, which Hollis has only said would happen if she is in real danger, you know, over a dead body kind of thing. So <laughs> Sudi kind of assumed that that you guys were already down, possibly dead. So he went out yeah. there pretty aggressively and was like, I'm going to punish you for hurting my friends. Although she really, really only one person was in mortal danger because if anyone else had backed off, she would have just ignored them to kill Sudi. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she hit me with non-lethal. Yeah, yeah. Her attack against Sugar was lethal because she really hadn't started being non-lethal at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my poor baby chicken. She only had thirty-four yeah. hit points. I was very scared. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, she only gets she gets half of my hit points, and she doesn't have very good natural armor because she gave up some of that chicken. with uh, her archetype. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, you gave that up for the bardic knowledge, right? She gets some, but it, it's on a slower leveling up system. Yeah. So, and then the following episode, you guys got the side, her side backstory, which mm-hmm. you'd already gotten some of that in the Faded Tales, but really getting a bit more of her motivation. And So what happened, like, exactly? So the catfolk gated her in and taught her how to fight, like, a monk, and then they had her train the other Eyes of Raw. And then when they got the trapezohedron and she wanted to leave they said no you can't because they were being corrupted or they still were like well we still need you to train or what we need you to guard this thing <laughs> part of it is they needed them, her to guard it especially because of how dangerous it was now they needed every defense they could but then she started mistrusting the cat folk because they were using the shining trapezohedron because that's also a new thing you found out where it's not only is it a prison but apparently it also works as a almost a crystal ball allowing you to view various planes locations and her heart was in the little pedestal so she herself was being corrupted which is why i think she had that split personality thing yeah and some of it was the fact that this was a literal stone so it's something that she has an innate connection to already you know you kept talking about sudi's ancestors maybe being bad people and i don't think that's the case at all i think it was just they're very lawful neutral neutral. yeah and it's one of those She had a contract and they still needed her. So they said, no, you can't leave. I don't think it was out of malicious intent. It was just like, well, we still need you. Why do you want to leave? You know what I mean? Well, to a degree for them, it's almost the argument of the greater good. 
Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, what yeah. we're doing here is... No, I'm not saying what they did was good. I'm just saying I don't think it was done out of any malicious intent. I don't know. Yeah. Enslaving anybody seems a little malicious. Yeah, it's, but they weren't like, trying to like, she... enslave the world. Like that, What they did to her was not nice and not good, but yeah. they weren't like suddenly following the haunter in the dark or anything. I think. Yeah, yeah, it was just she'd made a deal and they were making her uphold her contract basically and they saw yeah, her but as they, a tool they took advantage of it because she mentioned that, that she was very young yeah. it, it was all legal by the books but you interpreted it and wrote it in an evil yeah. way again yeah. like Jessica said yeah it's more honestly I think <laughs> yeah. it's more neutral to be honest yeah well it's one of those things where it's it's you know the probably the original Eyes of Ra went into it with probably all the good intentions but like she said, they all started dying off eventually because the immortal ones had yeah. their own purposes. They eventually die, so on and so forth. So yeah. probably by the time that, that they have the whole thing with Black Pharaoh and the Trapezohedron, it's a whole different group of cat folk who've grown up in yeah. a very different environment. So I don't I don't yeah. think that you know it, they started out as bad, but it is one of those like natural evolutions to grow to, you know, if you think that the world will end if this thing fails to do whatever's possible to, mm-hmm. to make well, it. Well, we you know, don't know how far the corruption went either. For all we yeah. know, that particular group of Eyes of Raw were fully corrupted. We don't know. I think overall, the Eyes of Raw were a good, good group trying to do a good thing, but you know, I don't know. From temptation. the story we got from the Viper, I don't think they were all corrupted yet because they were still trying to protect this trapezohedron from the Viper and the Pathfinders getting it. So yeah, they didn't do a very was good that job. Selfishness, at that. or was that? Well, and if they were fully corrupted, they would have opened the box and let the thing out, and it was still sealed. It wasn't I, until I think, that fight with the Viper. I think it's a difference between being the idea of being corrupted by the influence inside of the crystal versus corrupted by the power that the trapezohedron gave them. Yeah, that's what I'm talking because about. Because it was, you know, we can see everything. It's it's that, you know, I take this out of a desire to do good. Yeah. But through me. <laughs> sort of argument where well, they were using it for the greater good. Freedom versus security. If you yeah. lean too yeah. far into security, you become a fascist, right? Like that's yeah. kind of dictators use the idea of security so them denying her freedom in the favor of security for the world makes perfect sense. And inevitably led to their own downfall. Yep. Yeah. True. But then Sudi set right what once went wrong. It was so good. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I like that at the, end, at the end of the fight, I got to have the dramatic speech about learning how to take a punch and keep on going. And then I started <laughs> It was a bit of a, it was like, what, what were we saying that there was a little Spider-Man, a little Captain America? A little yeah. Captain America. Yeah. Probably a little Captain America. Or so he's just swaying on his feet. I could do this all day. I was really trying to avoid saying <laughs> I could do this all day because I really wanted to say that. <laughs> by, by the amount of healing that I had gotten, I actually only, I still had half my hit points when I knocked her out. So, which yeah. was good. Okay. Well, you're welcome for knocking her down. For this you. was a challenging fight yes. for you guys. And oh, yeah, I, it was rough. I think I mentioned it in the in the episode, but it's probably edited out since we usually edit out when we talk about experience. But it was that interesting thing where she was actually a lower challenge rating than the Efreet that you handily fought just earlier. Well, <laughs> well that's it, because of fire resistance. Yeah, yeah. And it all has to do with how many spells you have left and Masika. How prepared can't. you were for the fight. Like I said earlier, Masika can't convert to heal, which is why yeah. I actually, clerics are my favorite divine casters because you can memorize all sorts of nifty, helpful buff spells and boom spells and not have to worry about it. So, But Masika has to memorize her healing and when she's out, 
she's out, you know? Yeah. She does trade that in with getting access to a whole bunch of different neat spells since the shaman oh, no, does shamans give you a whole bunch of druid cool. spells. I'm just saying clerics are still your go-to for the best healers, I think. Generally speaking. Well, yeah. I mean, that is their whole thing. <laughs> That's their whole shtick. But I don't know why I said that like Narmer. Well, because <laughs> it's fun to talk like Narmer, I imagine. But A lot of times, yeah. Then those cat folk gave us information. Yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. then the, the cat folk woke up. Uh, you spoke with Farah, who's the one that yeah. you've spoken to so far. Yeah. And uh, she just kind of gave you the whole, yeah, we, we know about the secrets, the you know the secret location of the sightless sphinx. And we've also been trying to deal with the, again, it's everyone in the desert's been screwed over by this cold. Pretty much, made. yeah. You're like, have you seen a bee baby? No. <laughs> Masika's got a plan for when this is all over. She wants to not make like a unified like nation, but to get better communication between like everybody. You're going to start so, the Pony Express for the desert? Yes. So it's one of those. There's yeah. no more of the this. The European all, Union of the desert. <laughs> yes. So it's not any more of this. Oh, we're all fighting the cult individually because if everybody had banded together a long time ago, knowing that everybody was having problems, maybe the cult wouldn't have gotten as far as they did in the first place. Masika's like. <laughs> what we need is a NATO, but for Osirian. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone contributes and then we make a sniff. <laughs> That's basically almost funnily enough what her plan is. It's like, let's actually start talking to each other more. Let's have more interaction. We'll still be off doing our own thing, but we're all there to help each other when, you know, evil cults and the black pharaoh shows up. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's true. There's one more evil pharaoh in the desert. And now we're like, uh, yeah, and then, one uh, at a time. <laughs> that episode ended off with uh, Masika learning that her mentor yeah, something's up with that because she would have magic to tell us, hey, I'm I mean, could you try sending folk. her? I think she already tried. Yeah, there's been yeah. a bunch of attempts to get in contact with her and none of it's worked. Hmm. So, so that's why I think there's some there's some hanky panky magic going on that's just, <laughs> yeah. you know, messing it up. Actually, that but, episode ended off with Narmer taking his skeletons down and Sugar following him. Scorpions? Scorpions? Skeletons? Scorpions? <laughs> oh my gosh, Jessica, oh, what is wrong with you today? <laughs> She's in the spooky mood. I'm in a spooky mood. I was in a spicy mood for that past couple episodes, and now I'm in a spooky mood. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, scorpions wear their skeletons on the outside. Exoskeletons. Technically, they do, yeah. That's true. And, uh, of course, those scorpions are not going to last long because Sugar was following after. <laughs> Sugar earned that. Sugar got hit hit for the first time ever. since ever. So, yeah, in over 50 episodes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Poor Sugar. Hollis is going to have to spot a her. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Have to brush her out. Yeah. Give her a little cucumbers. Her feathers. Yeah, get one of those nice pumice stones. Yeah, apparently we oh, yeah, established that uh, <laughs> Citra gives herself Manny Petties on the regular <laughs> in the mornings while everybody else is reading. Or I whatever. Mean, <laughs> to be fair, if you're on your feet all day every day, treat yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because <laughs> that's like, like an Citra important tool in your arsenal is having good feet. Yeah, Citra just bought one of those, like a whole bag thing with a collection of different ointments and everything when you guys were going to the uh, hot springs and Tefu all the time. <laughs> She's just like, oh, okay, I'm going to buy one of these. It's one of those big plastic bags on a display case end cap whenever you're leaving. A little travel leaving. kit, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Your little travel kit. So. Awesome. All right, well. Well, you're out in yeah. the desert. You don't want to get that sand under your fingernails all day. I guess that wraps up summary time. Uh, let's move on to emails. Yeah. All righty. A few emails. Uh, the first one is from Vicky in Tucson, Arizona. Hey, Vicky. Uh-huh. Oh, she's from Osirian. Tucson. Okay. She, she's from the Parched Dunes. Parched Dunes. That's sad. 
<laughs> no, I mean it's it's sad, but she's she's hey, in the desert. It's not sad. The Beckon do just fine. Thank you very much. When there's not yes, evil cults running around, desert. maybe maybe she has a nice house set along the edge of the Sphinx River with maybe a high ah. fence to keep the crocodiles out. Yeah, and there, we go. Uh, yeah, there yeah. you go. Some nice greenery. She can hang out in a hammock between some date palms. All right. Yeah. She says hi, Pathfolk. Greetings from Vicky and family in Tucson, Arizona, nice. uh, where we Tucson's dream nice. of grass and rain. <laughs> <laughs> See, we ca- we put her in the right place. We put her in the right place for sure. Yeah. If you want to just having to, you, if you want to keep dreaming of rain, yeah, so Syrian's a good place to go. I was gonna say we could put her in a in a more rainy spot. <laughs> well, the southern lands, nothing but rain. <laughs> you get nothing but rain or no rain at all. These are your options. <laughs> oh goodness, feast or uh, famine. Anyway, uh, you guys have inspired my family to start playing Pathfinder. My oh, husband. Hey. Oh, that's so right? nice. That's cute. My husband, my six and ten-year-old boys, and myself have started playing with a couple of friends every couple of weeks. Awesome. Bravo. Awesome. Start them when they're young. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. Uh, my husband introduced me to the pod, and I got entranced with the story and characters quickly. I listened to it in a few months from episode one and caught up a while back and had to wait for episodes to release. <laughs> oh. oh that, 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 That's that. the struggle. Yeah, <laughs> true. Re-listened a few times with this last re-listening arc, uh, went back to where Hollis joins and the dynamic with Onuris and Citra makes me miss him even more. I miss Onuris too. The party now has a different dynamic, not in a bad way, just it has a different feel. Masika cracks me up. Sudi and Citra are fantastic. I can't put into words how fantastic it is to feel like I know these characters like uh, like I know my favorite book characters. Aww. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. As a literary Aww, person, you. that all of you are amazing. Thank you for recording and sharing this amazing story with us. Vicky. Thank you so much. Also, shout yeah. out to Vicky as Vicky is one of the winners of our trivia <gasps> contest. Ooh, yeah. Congrats. Good. Congrats. Apparently, all those re-listens helped. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah. Sure, apparently I mean, some, some, of, some questions. of them questions were pretty obscure. Yeah. I think we I think we thought we were too easy before and just cranked it up too much. Next time we'll try to do a more even. <laughs> 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 yeah, this was a particularly challenging one. So uh again, you know, congratulations and uh thanks once again for joining us and uh and bringing the family along for the ride. Nice. All right. Second email comes from Sarah Goodcouch all the way down in Sargava. Hi, Sarah. What up, Sarah? Just so you know, I wear my Critical Giggle shirt on the frickin' regular. Oh, and <laughs> I love my Heather shirt. It's amazing. And my Druid Fact shirt. I'll just talk about my <laughs> shirt, too. All right. Hey, gang. In episode 21, there's this wild one- cinematic oh. moment in which Citra instills her kukri with shocking. I a- think you mean 121. 121? I do. <laughs> the one just doesn't exist. That was my bad, not Sarah's bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jessica doesn't believe in three-digit numbers. We <laughs> do one number in the front, and then the two numbers are separate. Um, dang it. Anyway, Citra instills her kukri with the shocking A glasses smiley face uh, might yeah. of the scorched obelisk. Since then, I've been reminiscing about some of the rad bespoke weapons and armor I've wielded over the years. If you'll indulge me, my favorite was a cursed homebrew blade called Echoes from the Far Shores. Oh, oh, neat. Nice name. Uh, Rick once mentioned in an after party or postmortem that he's also fond of christening meaningful gear. So I was curious, mm-hmm. what's been your favorite named weapons and armor from the campaign's past and present carried by either you or your compatriots? Thanks and good luck. 
Mine's going to be a throwback way back to 3.5 where I was playing a character and her sword was named Andrina's Dream and it was actually an artifact that had a spirit she could summon in it. It was pretty rad. Yeah. Neat. Uh, spoilers ahead for Curse of the Crimson Throne, Rise of the Rune Lords, Legacy of Fire, and also Carrying uh, Crown. So, so uh, skip ahead a little bit. Uh, <laughs> check the timestamps down below. Uh, if I'm going to shout out to anyone, although I wielded this when I played through, although Rachel actually got it when I ran this, would be uh, Sorethiel, the Fate of Steel. Oh, yeah. Which is the uh, iconic weapon from Curse of the Crimson Throne. I didn't keep it, though. My character was not worthy. Yeah. So that was a fun weapon. All right. I have to admit, I have literally never gotten a named weapon. Um, in Jordan all my needs years to name weapons more. We need yes, to we, name we clearly things. need to name weapons more because I've never named any of my weapons because I've always just had them forever and ever. Um, <laughs> I really like Serethiel. I also really like Chelan, one of the Swords of Sin. Yeah, I, I, we, I don't think our group actually wielded it, but I just, I love intelligent weapons. Like, for some reason, that always is like the fun thing for me. I always like to, I've always wanted to play like a Blackblade Magus and stuff like that. So I like uh, intelligent weapons. So that one was pretty rad. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called. I mean, you had a bunch of named weapons in Legacy. I did. Yes, I wielded Tempest in uh, Legacy of Fire with my fighter. Um, And then I also got a second scimitar, the uh, electric one, Maelstrom, from the other guy who tried to kill us. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, Tempest and Maelstrom. That was fun, but I don't remember that that name of it. Uh, Sandstorm? Otherwise, I think the takeaway is we need to start naming our weapons more. Yes. There's a rule of thumb back in, I can't remember if it was one of the 3.0, 3.5 Dungeon Master Guides or something like that, that was uh, anytime that you introduce a weapon that is plus four or greater, it should have a name. Mm. Because it's that powerful of a weapon, it should be given a name at that point. Okay, we'll have to start doing that. Well, and on yours, hat, All the best we have the names. named uh, Kopesh that Sagira and on yours were using. Oh, was it named? Sword? Yeah, no, the... The dog blade? The, no, the, the, <laughs> the salty one. one. Oh, yeah. Um, Natron's Fang. Natron's yeah. Fang. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was Blade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Masika has a plus one mace that she uh, has used, like, twice this whole campaign. I don't think it needs a name, but yeah. Citra should maybe think of a name for her... Uh, we're kookery now. But they're only sword. plus two. That's fair. We're so getting you know what? Cool the story thing. behind it alone um, is really it's, it's cool. A plus, it's plus two shocking, isn't it? Yeah. So it's a plus three. It's okay, getting up there. Plus three. What so was I the guess, name of the uh, obelisk? The Scorched Obelisk. The Scorched Obelisk. Yeah. So you should Ooh, Scorched I could just thing. name it Obelisk. I yeah. could just name it Obelisk. <laughs> ah, that's not exciting. Uh, you, you should do something Thunder themed. Shocking like, reveal. You know, Thunder Shrine <laughs> or something no, like that. Oh, no. No. <laughs> But yes, you should one. think of a name for your kukri is what we're getting at here. It's a good thing I didn't mention Raven's Tongue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. That was a cool I take it back. That was a cool one. Raven's Tongue was rad. Yeah, Raven's Tongue. All right. So our next email comes from Perry in Milwaukee. Hey, Perry. Milwaukee. I don't know I where Milwaukee is on Galarian. Uh, what is Milwaukee famous for? Cheese? Beer? No, isn't Beer it cheese? cheese? I mean, Wisconsin is famous for cheese in general. Yeah. Yeah. I think Milwaukee, it might be beer. Makes me think of beer. I don't know why. Yeah. Somebody from Milwaukee, write in and tell us what you're famous for. I think Rick's Googling. <laughs> it's right on you know, Lake Michigan, giant mm. lake there. So I feel like I feel like it should be someplace off of uh, Lake and Carthen. Lake and Carthen. Yeah. It was probably so, Galt. That's a weird place. And Galt, Galt's not off of Lake uh, in Carthen. Carthen. Yeah. Oh, it's not. I thought it was. Yeah, oh, that's a river. Yeah. Never mind. Oh, 
Why don't we just put them in Rasmarin? Yeah. All yeah. <laughs> hail. Maybe just chilling in Res. All hail the living god. You can be in, uh, what is it? Throne. Is it Throne Step? Is that the uh, Maybe. capital of Rasmaran? Apparently they like cheese in Rasmaran. <laughs> cheese is of the gods. Rasmaran famous for their cheese that's not cheese. I can't believe it's not cheese. <laughs> oh my god. You will believe it's not cheese. Yep, third step. The you will believe it's not cheese. <laughs> <laughs> you will believe that this All is not cheese. All hail the living god. All right. Perry so and yeah, third maybe, step. maybe a nice place there off of, uh, off of Lake and Carthen and Rasmaran. All right. Uh, Perry says, I hope you and the rest of the FTP are doing well and staying safe and sane during these troubling times. We are doing our best. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, safe, yes. Not sure about sane. I think we lost that before we even started recording. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I have been playing Pathfinder for a number of years now, but I generally have a permanent GM friend, so I usually am a PC. Very lucky. Yes, yeah, yeah. uh, well, me too. Hi, Rick. I'm very excited to finally be running a long-term AP for my group. I've run modules and some Pathfinder Society, but am generally a newbie GM. I have a party of five, and while I have read through the majority of the AP, I was hoping you could give me some tips for running this campaign and any changes you would make for an additional party member. Hmm. I think he's running Mummy's Mask. Okay. Two are seasoned players who introduced me to Pathfinder many years ago. One is a walking rulebook, but my other three (laughs) are all new to Pathfinder, with one being a seasoned role player and two being totally new to tabletop RPGs overall. All right, some backstory. I ran the group through two modules, God's Mouth and Daughters of Fury. Those both sound very cool. Yeah. Yeah. To get everyone acclimated to each other and the system. In the modules, I have found that there was a bit of a contrast where my seasoned friends are like your party, where we've played Mm -hmm. enough so while they don't play meta characters, they know creatures or how to bypass different DR and whatnot. Uh Meanwhile... The new players may get frustrated because they can't pass the check to learn things and feel useless or are very anti-meta. Sorry for the info dump, but my main request is for Mummy's Mask advice and for any additions you'd make for a slightly larger party, especially with players who know a good bit about the region and lore, i.e. I have someone who wants to play a spawn slayer. My secondary request is any advice you have for balancing a party by getting the newer players involved more and helping them build characters with more tools or options without overwhelming them with archetype options. Okay. So, two parts. So I guess let's we'll, we'll tackle this a couple things at a time. Uh, first off, I think as a rule, our group is pretty anti-metagame. Yeah. Yeah, we, so, we actively try not to meta. So while we might know what a creature's resistance is and damage reduction and all that are, if our characters don't know, we don't take advantage of that. So if your mm-hmm. seasoned players are doing that, you may want to have a talk with them and be like, look, I know you know this, but your character wouldn't until you make the check that you need to mm-hmm. make. Just to throw this out there, because I saw a hilarious post, I'm not necessarily saying you should do this, but if you felt like, uh, if you have a player that routinely metagames and then just goes, well, well, you know, I'm just, okay, I usually use a great axe, but then a skeleton comes out and it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to pull out my mace. No reason, I'm just tired of using my great axe because he knows Uh, it has damage reduction mm -hmm. against anything bludgeoning. Uh, I saw this post that basically said how you can meta the metagame where you can say, your choice has caused a disruption in the game, which imposes a minus two or minus four attack penalty on you. 
because yeah. in essence it gets into like this matrix uh, reminds me a little bit of Assassin's Creed where you're actually desynchronizing <laughs> yourself think. from the game as <laughs> 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 to say if you want to throw a mechanical penalty on someone what I would think uh, is funny to do is essentially you're gonna you're gonna pull a tyrant's grasp I don't know if you know anything about tyrant's grasp and you're going to make the enemies look like one thing but actually be another thing Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So maybe so they look undead, but they're actually a golem, or they look like <laughs> uh, they look like a, I don't know a skeleton, but actually they're a collection of plant-like things. Funny enough, I thought Jessica was going to go like the you know if Hollis were doing something like this, then she would cast an illusion spell over the skeletons <laughs> to make them look like zombies. Oh, that would be cool too. Yeah, cool too. yeah. yeah. Oh, that would be uh, just to mess her. Uh, or again, the classic like green dragon wearing a ring that makes him look like a red dragon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, just had a, a disguise on everyone. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Before you start doing like in-game stuff, just you tell your player, talk to them yeah. first, and be like, "Hey, yeah. especially if it's causing a bunch of frustration in your newer players, that makes the game not fun because then they think not only am I new to this game, but I don't have the knowledge to play this game, which is not true." Don't let yeah. the yeah. more experienced players' knowledge and metagaming make it not fun for your new players. Or just switch your whole party to second edition. <laughs> I mean, that, that is an I mean, option. I, it's a little bit of work. Conversion to would be Mummy's Mask would be a lot of work to convert, so yeah. maybe don't do yeah. that. But. And then as far as the new players go, I would just kind of make sure that they have, the no- they have knowledges that are going to help and... Maybe play a class that you know, like if you somebody's playing a ranger, maybe help them select their favorite enemies. In first edition, if someone is wanting to min-max, there's not really a lot you can do about that. Yeah. Um, I had the the character, uh, oh gosh, what's it called? The strategy, strategy guide. guide. The, the strategy guide. I had that, and that helped me when I first started. I will say this also helped me. Um, when we were playing Rise of the Rune Lords, um, Rick would actually type up the the knowledge checks. And so whenever we would make a roll on something, it was an actual physical piece of paper, and they'd be like, okay, this is what you know. And I kept all of those. Yeah. So for the duration of that game, you know, if we came across a skeleton one time, I didn't have to be like, oh, I don't remember this stuff. I, I literally just kept a little ongoing sheet in my, my binder that had that so I could reference. And so as a new player, that really helped me. I don't know if that'd be something you'd be willing to do or, you know, sending out a a text of some kind since everybody's digital in this day and age. Yeah. But I, I think that's good because it's it, it leaves them something to reference as the game is going on. And then the more they play, the less they're going to need that handhold. And I don't even know if it's a handhold. I just also liked it for the role play aspect. I mean, I do that with was... my Starfinder game on Roll20. I just make handouts for all the knowledge checks. And then yeah, I delete the so. part you shouldn't know and I uh, show it to everyone. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. And it like like Rachel said, it does encourage role playing because then the mm-hmm. character, it's not the DM says, or the GM says, hey, blah, 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 blah. Then it's, here's a text or a sheet of paper and you have to articulate that to the rest of the party. As so your it kind character. Of, as your character. So it helps facilitate role playing, especially a lot of new players, or that's the part about it that they're gun shy about. That that's, oh, yeah. It's a new, it's a totally new experience if you've never done it before. Yeah. yeah. What you yeah. could do, just thinking about how to balance a party by helping new players get involved more and build characters that have options, you could take the opposite approach and you could just limit your table to one or two of the books. Like you have mm-hmm. to pull something out of yeah. the core rule book or the advanced player's guide. 
Yeah. And that yeah. limits the player options for your high-level characters, which might be annoying to them, so you would have to talk to the group. But it would immensely help out your newer players by not overwhelming them, but making them yeah. feel like they're still on par. Yeah, yeah I don't want to have to deal with the paradox of choice. It's kind of how society made the uh, core-only option mm-hmm. for society play. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of really cool, almost game-breaking stuff in some of those splat books, and if everybody has access to those, but your new players can't find that information, that does yeah. feel a little unfair. Well, and new players yeah. especially are unlikely, unless you tell them to know about Archives of Nethys, that collates all that together. So, well, and then it's just a huge, so much, so and, much. and then honestly, even I, as a seasoned player, get some decision fatigue when I'm trying to pick spells and things yeah. like that because there's just so many in first edition. I thankfully live with an encyclopedia. So. Yeah. Well, you got the ro- the walking rule book, right? I, I <laughs> do right. have the walking rule book a lot of times because I I am that person that gets overwhelmed. I, the paradox of choice is like sends my anxiety up to like eleven, <laughs> and I don't do it. And so I literally, when I get in that mode, I just look at Rick and I'm like, help me. You like, can also do. This. <laughs> you can also do for book one. We're going to limit it to core rulebook and APG, and then for book two, you can open it up. Yeah. So when they're leveling up, it's gradual stuff, relations. Mm. Yeah. So I, I think a lot of this comes down to communication. So if you feel like it is some of the players are making it less enjoyable for your newer players, just talk to them and say, hey, look, this is overwhelming the new guys. We want to be able to introduce new people to the game. And more likely than not, they'll probably be receptive to that at the very least. Uh, on the subject of increasing the challenge for most fights or adjusting for our larger table size, Usually I just kind of assume an increase of kind of one to one. So if it's a fight and it goes, okay, well, this is, you know, these are two monsters and that would be a challenge for four PCs. And I'm like, well, I've got five or six PCs. Okay, we'll just make it three monsters because each one is a challenge for two PCs. If you want a quicker, like quick and easy way to do it also, there's just the advanced template. And there's even the fast version of that where it's like, it gets plus two to AC, plus two all of its attacks, plus two to damage and this many extra hit points, the end. Those are always a fun way to just kind of increase the challenge some. Yeah, I lean more towards that than adding extra monsters for five, just because um, sometimes adding an extra monster, if you look like, let's say we we were doing Rules. that rule with <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, with the Shaitan we just fought, two Shaitan, total wipes the party. You know? Well, yeah, it, it doesn't, eight adding extra monster doesn't work if you're looking at a single monster encounter. Yeah. So... It's a little bit easier in second edition where they actually have like the math behind the the encounter calculus. And there is to a degree in first edition also. But if you feel like the players are just going to steamroll over an encounter, feel free to add a couple. I think the MMO term for it is mooks. But, just a skeleton uh, just, or two? Just the lesser Yeah, just, yeah, lesser just things. something to make a speed bump for the yeah, front line. trash mobs yeah. all the way. Yeah. Trash mobs. <laughs> nice. As long as it makes it fun and entertaining for the players, then that's all that really matters. And single creature encounters are usually a challenge because the math, the action economy leans so strongly in the players' directions. If it's just one creature where it's, you know, hey, the party's getting four actions to this creature's every one. Uh, So the more players you add in, the more it messes with that action economy. I would say additional creatures over buffing individual creatures. So even if it's just like, haha, here's the leader of this gang, and you know what? Sure, he's got two hyenas with him that are his pet hyenas, just yeah. to add an extra yeah. something that's the, challenging. The Shaitan has got like two lesser earth elementals, you know, or something like that. Yeah, comes out of the wall and punches you. <laughs> so yeah, cool. All right, um, moving to the final email here uh, from Dan in Houston, Texas. 
Well, Texas is the man away, so yeah. Is there another city that's not Alkenstar? <laughs> um, yes, there are other towns. There's no, there's just towns. one city in the Manaway, so that's it. What's really humid? <laughs> it needs to really be near humid. water. Yeah, it does like need to there's, a, there's a river that runs through the Manaway, I think. With bad traffic. <laughs> the worst, <laughs> okay, the worst so, traffic. I, I don't know. I'm going to say Austin. No, Houston's we, traffic no, is Houston so bad. No, Houston is so bad. much worse. Just a day day driving around Houston is worse. I guess we shouldn't trash Houston too much, but we are from Dallas, so that's the whole thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there is the city of Martell that's also there. All right, Martell. Oh, Martell. Which is a really Martell. interesting uh, because it's basically two enormous buildings that make up most of the city, which are connected by a number of stone and metal bridges between them. That's cool. Oh, cool. Let's do that. Oh, that's really uh, rad, And also yeah. maintains the extensive treasury, oh. composing of vaults below the city that are guarded both by clockwork and explosive traps. Oh, rad. nice. Sweet. Okay, that's cool. I love it. All right, Dan from Martell. I've got a question for the crew. Since it's that spooky time of year, what do you think your PC would dress up as for Halloween? Could be something in Galarian or in our world too. So, unfortunately, this is coming out slightly after Halloween, but still yeah. in that spooky hmm. mood. Hmm. Huh. I mean, Narmer dresses up every day as a pharaoh. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. my, my first instinct was to be like, Sudi just goes as a golem. Because that'd be hilarious. <laughs> See, my my instinct for Sudi is to put wings on you because then you'd be a character from Gargoyles. Oh, yeah. That'd be funny, too. <laughs> yeah, you, you're Elisa Maza's um, brother who got mutated. I don't know. I don't remember yeah. that deep think, into the Gargoyles. <laughs> I think Hollis would go as an alien and she'd get those little antenna headband thingies. Because yeah. elves are aliens, and I find that yeah. very funny. She would find that, that very funny. funny as well. I'm sure the Lushinta would find it offensive. Oh, it would be super offensive to the Lushinta. <laughs> she doesn't know the Lushinta. Sure. That's fair. And they're aliens, so there you go. <laughs> That's true. I, I feel like I feel like Citra and Falta would have to do a couple thing. Oh no, you totally would do a couple uh, thing. Rick and uh, Evie from Mummies or from Oh my from God! Yes! Oh yes, <laughs> that, that is would be great. It. That is it. There you go. <laughs> I, I was also thinking just to be out there, you could be Doctor and the Companion. Do a nice couple's outfit of Doctor and Companion. That'd be Ooh, fun. Sugar's gonna yes, go as a marshmallow in the middle of a s'more, and so she'll have like two sides of like cardboard and like Okay, I'm still apparently Doctor Who in the brain. She goes as an Annie pose. Oh, oh. that would be super cute too. <laughs> so cute. I'll have to go as the Doctor as well. We just have a lot of things happening. I have no idea what Masika would go as. Oh, Masika, Masika just dresses up as Ariel. <laughs> Um, a literal catfish. You could, you could go as the creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> oh my god! I feel like that's a little bit oh, on the one. nose. Well, I well you're you're you I mean, going as kind of on the nose too. So. <laughs> you go as no face, and you just have a little no face thing on, and uh, then you have yeah. a black uh, yeah. robe. Mm. Although I feel like Masika's funny. She would want to do yeah. something funny. I wonder if Masika would just get one of those like costumes that aren't really a costume where she like dresses all goth for the day or something and it's just an excuse to be like a fishnet stockings. <laughs> yeah. Said what Masika's dressing up, not you, Heather. <laughs> uh, Rachel got it. <laughs> what? I missed fishnet it. stockings. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, nah, Masika could fish. do Harley Quinn actually. That's a good Harley one, Quinn. Jess. She oh, has the yeah. personality for that. Yes. Yeah. She's Harley Quinn. Mm. Yep. Oh man, I feel like Norma would be Mr. J. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Mr. J. 
her husband would have to be Batman because he goes, huh. <laughs> 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 All right. Swear to me. Swear to oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Let's face it. If we put it, Narver would just run around to make the cape fly behind him all day long. That's all he That'll would be do. Fair. He I can fly. Can. <laughs> yeah. I think Narmer almost has to go as Iron Man just because he already has like the arc oh, reactor yeah. thing. Going. Yeah. <laughs> we just paint him red for the day. <laughs> Oh, we didn't have to paint him red. He could just be the prototype suit from the yeah. movie. That's true. Hmm. Yeah, but painting him would be fun. Yeah. Uh, well, you know. True. <laughs> yeah, so I think Masiko would definitely Citra be would Harley Quinn. And I think Narmer's Iron Man would be hilarious. Yeah, I think that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, because you know he'd go up to Citra and ask her to paint him as Iron Man. <laughs> yes. Because she's all artsy and stuff. Yeah. That was yep. a fun question. I like that. Yeah, that was, that was a very fun question. <laughs> Would never have thought of that. Yeah. Dan ends with thanks for putting out so much amazing content. I look to much. I look forward to much more in the future. Oh, thank you. Well, we will continue creating yep. it because we have fun making it. Yep. Indeed. We have fun plans for the future. We do indeed. Indeed. Are we gonna cast a deity? Jess, you need to bounce Heck a dice. Yeah. I think we should cast a deity. That is the final stage of all after parties. It's true. Oh. Although I'm adding an extra stage at the end of this, but we'll get there. What? what? The penultimate stage is casting. You have to listen to the end to get the 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 ultimate, whatever we're talking about. I don't like surprises from Rick. I'm nervous now. It's an after party surprise. That's okay. Is it? Game so you can't kill say. us with this stuff. All right, Jess. I guess uh, bounce me a d10 then. Yeah. I rolled a two. For today, we will be casting the pirate queen herself, Besmara. Ooh. Ooh. Once nothing more than a powerful spirit of water with the ability to manipulate sea monster, Besmara grew slowly in power over the centuries from sacrifices made by seafaring people. After defeating and consuming rival spirits of battle, gold, and wood, she became a minor god of piracy, strife, and sea monsters. Besmara, the pirate queen, cuts a brash and bold figure as she is often depicted wearing buccaneer apparel consisting of loose-fitting, eye-catching clothing and black boots, and her hair is wind-tossed on even the calmest day. She and her followers adhere to a simple code of greed. Take what you desire, no matter who it might belong to. Despite this, Besmara and her worshippers are generally loyal to one another, knowing that while on the waves raiding ships for treasure, a pirate crew can survive only if its members can trust one another. Besmara is no fool, though. She knows to fall back if attaining a certain treasure proves too difficult. In fact, she currently bides her time, waiting for an opportunity to gain more deific power, even while she steals from other minor divinities. She is not above fighting dirty if she believes it will give her the upper hand in battle, and she sometimes encourages her followers to foment conflicts between other groups so that they can take advantage of the ensuing chaos. Besmara thrives in areas where piracy is difficult to control or even encouraged, such as Ismagorti and the Shackles, and her followers chafe at any laws that would curtail their personal freedoms. Is the one I have in my brain too on the nose? I have too many. Yeah, I've got what I've got, and I'm very pleased with my choice. Okay, I'm going to stick with mine. All right, Jess, first or last? First, Ming-Na Wen. Oh, nice. Oh, that's oh, a, that's good, a good, good choice. Voice of Mulan. She was in Eureka. Uh, she also is Guardians of the Galaxy. Awesome in, in physical stuff too. So if you wanted Besmara fighting somebody, she'd be really cool. Well, and I'm thinking like the Chinese pirate queen that started as a prostitute and became this pirate queen of like thousands and thousands of ships that China was scared of back in the day. Like, me no win. I don't think she was in Eureka. She That's was 
Uh, Senator Michaela Wen. She was in Eureka for seven episodes. Oh, I'm thinking of the doctor. No, yeah. she was not. The she doctor. was also she was in uh, one episode of The Mandalorian. She's uh-huh. uh, but she's one of the main characters in Agents of Shield. Yep, Agents all seasons. Shield. Dude, she yeah. was in Street Fighter back in the day. Sure, she is. Oh yeah. Rad. So yeah, Ming Na Wen is who I'm going I with. I love her because so she is one. awesome. Very nice. Um, okay, I'm going with uh, it was the thing. I think it was the thing with the wavy hair, uh, saying it's like constantly in a mess. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter, because <laughs> no? she she is, she does have the crazy hair. She has the crazy hair. Like I immediately just apparently thought about Bellatrix Lestrange and was like, oh yeah, she could do something like slightly crazy. Like she's good at shouting and and looking a little a little mad, you know, a little sea madness. So hmm. I'm gonna go with Helena Bonham Carter. Uh, I'm gonna go with Mar- Michelle Rodriguez. Hmm. Oh, that's a good one. She's a tough, feisty chick, and that seems to fit Besmara pretty well. True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's all about family when you're on a pirate <laughs> ship. <laughs> and unfortunately, she has never gotten a leading role in anything, as far as I know. At least I haven't seen anything. Uh, so for mine, I'm going to go with uh, Zoe Saldana. Oh, you freaking stole mine, son of a... She is pretty great. All right, you've still got a backup uh, one. Yeah, I, but has she uh, been so, taken? That's a great one. Uh, let's that's find what out. I was looking up. I don't think uh, she no, has. No, she has not been taken. I know I've put her up yeah. for something, but no, so, she no, didn't Zoe, Zoe Saldana is phenomenal. <laughs> she's she's <laughs> such an amazing physical actress as far as like the stunts that she does, and she does a lot of her own work. And she also has that that amazing ability to both be very intimidating, but charmingly disar- disarming. So I feel like that's a very good piratey feel to it. So, yeah, so we sold on a. All right, so Very since nice. Rick stole mine. You always have two, um, so you, you have probably up. eight. I only had two. That well, you now can say both of them. Out. Okay, well, Zoe Saldana was was my first choice because I remembered her from Pirates of the Caribbean because she was in the first one. Yeah. yeah. And she did not get to shine in that as much as she should have because no. I love her. Um, so I've been watching a lot of The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor recently, mm. and I'm trying to think of somebody that had really awesome range. After seeing the picture, I'm going to go with my second choice, which is Carla Cugino. Okay. Is she the mom? She's the mom. Yeah, I like her. That hair uh, okay. fits that picture. Not to mention, Carla Cugino is just amazing. She was in that one movie with uh, Jet Li. Um, she was in uh, Sin City, where she plays the doctor who gets like her hand cut off or eaten off. She was in that really awesome Stephen King adaptation. She, I think she was in a movie with Polly Shore way back in the day, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> I love Carla Cugino. She is absolutely gorgeous. She's bad. I think she fits perfectly that vibe of Besmara. I agree, but Ming-Na Wen. Ming-Na Wen's pretty freaking awesome, but uh, I love Carla Cugino. This is definitely going to have to go to the fans because there's actually a lot of good casting on this one. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, I I would be pretty happy with most of these. So Yeah. Yep. Good. So uh, before before we sign off, we of course uh, we did do a trivia contest recently, and I was just going to announce that uh, we have our winners in, and that is now complete. So uh, for those of you who have... uh, participated thank you apparently this one was a little bit more challenging than we initially anticipated yeah. it being so <laughs> yeah so thank you all for uh, for competing in that and uh you'll be receiving your prizes shortly and i guess we'll just have to gear up until we do our next trivia contest which uh mm-hmm. we'll find out when that is <laughs> some in the future book. at some the point future. maybe the end of this book maybe 150 who knows we'll figure it out Hey, Pathfolk. Uh, Rick here. Speaking of the future, Rick here from 
the future. At the very least, the future in comparison to what you were listening to up until recently, which was recorded in the past. I just wanted to interject here real quick and say that post the recording of this episode, we have uh, been invited on to the No Direction podcast, so we'll actually be appearing on there. So if you are interested in checking up with us there, you should be able to find us on No Direction's live stream that they do on Twitch Wednesday, November the 18th. If you're listening to it from the future, however, you can go back. I believe it's going to be No Direction episode 237, where I'll be on there possibly with a special guest to talk about second edition conversion and maybe, maybe make some sort of interesting announcement about a project that we've been working on. Something that some of you may have noticed a few hints dropped here and there about. So back to your program as scheduled. Uh, but yeah, I guess that's it for us. Over yep. at Find the Path. Good luck out there, Path Folk. Thank you for all the amazing emails. Yeah. They're pretty great this yep. time. Good luck, everyone. Bye, Path Folk. Bye, Path Folk. The end. The end. Everyone go home. <laughs> Why are you still here? Stop listening. Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mummy's Mask is copyright 2014. Mummy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Paths are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.